for me, uh, somehow, uh, every time I got on that ice, there's a lot of bubble that came around me and I just, I was in that bubble. There's nothing, even now I play and I still have that bubble around me. You hear the fans, but you kind of shut down. There's a black thing. What? Where am I going to go get that black thing? I want it. Where is it? What can I do to retreat that black thing? So you're kind of zoning and there's, there's the bubble. You're just, that's all you think of. So you don't even think about nothing else. It's just, you get in that bubble. It's just a great place to be in and, and you're in the moment, present moment. That's it. There's nothing else. That was Pierre Turgeon, former first overall draft pick in the 1987 NHL amateur draft and owner of 1,327 career NHL points. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padola. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast for episode 101. And the hits just keep on coming because today's guest is another gentleman that I ran into at the Islanders Alumni Weekend. And his name is Pierre Turgeon. A very familiar name, uh, especially if you were a hockey fan in you know the late 80s through the 90s. He even played into the 2000s, but he was definitely at his best uh, in the 90s. <clears throat> he was first overall in the 1987 draft, and that was a draft that saw... Uh, a lot of quality players, you know, namely Brendan Shanahan, who went second, uh, Joe Sackick, who I believe was like 16th, and uh, you know, Glenn Leslie was also in that draft. There was there was some really really strong players in that draft, and Pierre uh, was the head of that class, and he did his his ranking uh, proud. I mean, he played played 1,229 regular season games. He played another 109 playoff games. He was a Almost a point a guy in the playoffs, 97 points in 109 games, 1,327 points in 1,229 regular season games, scored 500 goals, 515 goals in the NHL, nine times he scored 30 goals or more, 12 times he scored 20 goals or more, he had five different all-star um, appearances, he won a Lady Bing trophy. He, uh, his accomplishments, you mean, are, are vast and they're many. Uh, he also was the captain of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, we speak about that in the interview during the 95-96 uh, season. He was there when Patrick Waugh, um, the infamous Patrick Waugh scenario, when Patrick Waugh left the bench never to be uh, never to be a Montreal Canadian again. Uh, he was also the assistant captain in St. Louis when he was there with the likes of uh, you know Pronger and McInnes. So Pierre has has been. Around, uh, we actually didn't talk about one thing that we had in common, and now I, I am kicking myself for not bringing it up. But Pierre was in a trade uh, with Kirk Muller involved, and as uh, those of you who have followed the podcast for a while also know, that I was traded for Kirk Muller, so we do have uh, the Kirk Muller uh, uh, degrees of separ- separation, similar to the the uh, Kevin Bacon degrees of separation with Hollywood. Maybe we should try and do that because Kirk Muller was traded a couple times and played on quite a few teams, so. That'd be interesting if if that could become a become a meme, but uh, 
anyways, this conversation is absolutely fantastic. Uh, just his experience, his wisdom, his his cerebral approach to the game. You know, we we talk a lot about different elements that I love to talk about. We you know we talk about. Uh, the ability to reframe and how, or how to how to how to handle mistakes, like what to, how to tell yourself what they mean to you. He t- speaks about uh, playing in a bubble. We talk about the mindset of scoring. We talk about what it's like to be a leader um, and the personalities involved and, 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 how, and how to be true to yourself. We talk about great coaches. He speaks, he speaks to Al Arbor and what a great impact Al Arbor had on his on his career and 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 on his game uh there's just you know the conversation is is uh 90 minutes roughly 90 minutes uh with uh that covers you know his career but we also make pit stops along the way as we usually do with uh so many topics that i that i find completely interesting uh he he speaks uh speaks about his his experience playing with uh, some amazing players, uh, talks about Mario Lemieux and and what his game was like, and we talk about Wayne Gretzky, and he speaks to Ray Bork and and uh, and Nicholas Lidstrom and and their ability to take away time and space, and we also talk about offense from a philosophical perspective and from a concept perspective, about like what are we trying to do when we have the puck? There's a uh, yeah, there's just a lot uh, in, in this conversation. I mean, it's super gracious that uh, the Islanders were able to put. Uh, Pierre and I in, in the same room with with that amazing alumni weekend that I spoke about uh, last week with Dwayne Sutter. If you were able to hear that that great conversation I had with Dwayne, I was able to uh, to meet Pierre. We 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 had some free space uh, at uh, at where we were sitting at, at the at the first night event, and I and I shook his hand and I asked him if he'd be willing to to come on my program. And again, there's there was no other connection there as far as Pierre and I were concerned. We never played with each other. I was never in a camp or in a dressing room with him. Um, but because uh, we were in the same room as, as Islander alumni, he was he was gracious enough to shake my hand and to and to share his number and and here we are a week, week later roughly and and he's a guest on the podcast. So um, I one thing we do talk about is uh, is Pierre's accolades, meaning the 500 goals, the 327 points. And I point out at the very end of the discussion. Uh, that I found this little excerpt that he has the most points in NHL history to not be in the Hall of Fame. That's such a such a crazy stat line, isn't it? Like to be that guy, um, to be the guy with the most points to ever not be inducted. And now he's not like he can't be inducted; he still can be. But at this point in time, he he is he has not been inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that's the last question that I ask him. So. Uh, Pierre, the gentleman that he is, you'll have to stick around, I guess, to the end of the interview to, to hear how he responds to that. But uh, I do think that's a very interesting, uh, a very interesting stat to have. You know, he played, I, I should go over a little bit more just so some of the younger players and, and some of you listeners who may not be as familiar with him as I am, but he, he was drafted originally by, uh, by Buffalo and he played uh, five years there and then he got traded to the New York Islanders in, in the Pat LaFontaine trade. And then he ended up going over to, to Montreal with the Canadians. I believe that was in the Kirk Muller trade. I'm just going to check now. Um, yes, traded from the New York Islanders to the Montreal Canadiens. And that was for Kirk Muller. 
and then he got traded from the Canadians to the St. Louis Blues. He talks about that and how he he requested that trade, but uh, three blockbuster trades really he was involved in. And then he went to St. Louis. He said that trade really extended his career. He was five seasons in St. Louis, then went to Dallas, and then ended up in Colorado. Uh, his best season was 58 goals, 74 assists for 132 points in 83 games. I was with the New York Islanders in the 92-93 season. Um, and he won the Lady Bing Award that year as well. So, uh, again, fantastic, fantastic junior. 154 points in 58 games the year he got drafted first overall. Oh, we also talk about the World Junior Championship where he was there when the lights went out with the brawl against Russia. So we get his take as a 17-year-old in that tournament. And, um, and yeah, I mean, just an honor to have such an accomplished NHL um, veteran on on the show. And I know you're going to love... Uh, the conversation. He uh, he has a he has a very interesting perspective on, on things. He's he's uh, he's eloquent in his delivery and thoughtful in his approach. And I bring you my conversation with Pierre Turgeon. All right, episode one hundred and one is now on, uh, and we have former first overall pick Pierre Turgeon on the Up My Hockey podcast. Welcome, Pierre. Thank you for having me. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we we just uh, met again for I guess the second time because we met last year as well at the alumni thing. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Islanders alumni weekend, I think we should probably just discuss that a little bit. What uh, <laughs> what does the Islanders mean to you and your you know in your history, rich history in hockey, and uh, what does that weekend mean for you? Well, it is a process. You know, you look at your career, what you've done, what you achieve, and you go through. Um, you go through the team you played for and, uh, you know, the memories you have there and, uh, you know, there's uh, great memories. And then uh, going back, as you know, I mean, we go back and all of a sudden there's guys that you meet that we, you know, we met there. And next thing you know is you're reconnecting. And which great about the hockey world and it's a great world to be a part of is you've seen these guys, you see older guys, younger guys, middle guys, guys you played with, you guys you played against. And somehow there's a connection, you know, and that's a great connection to have in life. And I, I just love to be a part of, uh, of that world. And kudos to the Islanders, right? I mean, you played on, uh, I mean, I played on four different teams, but not nearly mm-hmm. as long as you did. And none of the Islanders, like none of the teams that I play on, like really have much going on for the alumni, for the Islanders to do that. Uh, is that your experience? That's a pretty special weekend just in the NHL world itself? 100%. I mean, you go there, and and the great thing about all this, the owners are great. Um, you know, the fans are great. And there's one thing it starts. It starts with the team and the, and the owner that brings everyone back together. And that's where it starts. And uh, for many years, it wasn't like this. In the last, you know, couple of years, it, it changed. And uh, and that's why we were able to just get together and have those weekends. And, uh, you know, it's pretty special when you have the 50th anniversary uh, of a team and just being a part of it. It's it, what, what a history, you know. So it's great. There was a lot of fun. And uh, I love playing. And we went on the ice on that weekend. On uh, so we played against the Rangers, obviously on on Sat on Sunday, and uh, just can't get him back on the ice. I just love being out there. And uh, it was against the Rangers, obviously. And it doesn't matter who we who we win. It's about being out there, and you want to keep that game close enough so we're we're where the fans are happy. You know, that's yeah. what it comes down to. It's about the fans. You know. Caber was bragging to me about his hat trick. Was was Caber on fire that night? Yeah, he was. I mean, there's a lot. There's yeah. Well, Nick, think about this. There's uh, 
we scored 11 goals. So, so yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of goals. And then the other team, you know, they scored, you know, uh, nine, you know. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, there's a lot of goals and it's just uh, and and you just want to make it fun. And I think we did that. So it was cool. With those alumni games, I, I didn't go. Actually, my my uh, my wife and my son, we we headed into uh, New York City and, sure. and did some Broadway thing and, and did that whole thing. But um, as a player, I mean, I still like to get out there too. It seems like the the goalies prefer not to play. Like once they get older, who are the goalies that like where the, where their oh, alumni I, goalies? You know, there's two guys that they're not alumni. They're guys that paid and just be part of it for charity and. Uh, you know, it was fun, and, and and these guys are just, they're happy to be there, uh, you know, and I feel bad for them because it's just, you know, it's open. You know, obviously, you get scored 10 goals against us. Yeah. So you're right. A lot of alumni don't want to go in that. <laughs> and think about, you know, butterfly all the time and getting up and going down, and these guys don't want to be a goalie anymore. A lot of guys want to be forward. You know, I get that, you know. So, I mean, the, the older you get, too, it's it's already hard to be a goalie. Uh, you know, can't even imagine being 50, 60, or 70 and just be trying to be a goalie still. Mm, yeah. I don't know. That's going to be hard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's something that I, I picked up actually. I retired pretty young, like at, at 30, and uh, okay. still still had some legs left. But uh, for, whatever, for whatever reasons, I, I left the game. But when I came back, I still wanted to play a little bit here locally. And um, that sounds like the same type of game that you got going on now in Florida there. Right. But it was, it was, I was still a little too fresh and a little too young for kind of the pace here. Yeah. And, uh, but I, so I was always interested in, in goaltending though. So I bought all the gear and I became a goaltender for like three years, four <laughs> years. So I did the opposite. I, I, I retired and then went and took, took, went in between the pipes and, and it is, I mean, it's a different, it's a different beast in there, especially for like how your body has to move and what it, what it's required to do. And the hips and the lower back were always a little bit sore oh. when I left the ice, but Oh, <laughs> it was fun. It's not like it used to be. I mean, now they're butterfly all the time. Every shot, they go across, they slide. They're, I mean, they're just, it's, it's so technical. You know, I mean, it's just a hard place to be. You know, we used to see two pad slide all the time. We used to be a stand up goalie. Guys never go and went down, you know, in our time, beginning of the time. So uh, now you could see these guys are athletes, you know, obviously like the players, but, you know, being a goalie, you got to start young age just to be able to do that butterfly and try try to cover as much as you can the bond. Wow. Yeah. So I can't even imagine for you at at 30 trying to be did you were you a butterfly or you were a two no, I was I, I was uh I was kind of one of those gumby kind of guys. Like I was stretching in the room <laughs> before games all the time and I, I had the loose okay. groin. So yeah I was kind of built for it. So it wasn't too wow. bad, but... impressive. Wow. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, I'm just looking back on your career. I mean, just uh, touching on the Islanders again. There's a couple yep. pretty big moments. Uh, well, one for you with the 132 point season and the 58 goal campaign, and also yep. the uh, the Lady Bing, right? That came that year. So yep. I mean, obviously a really special year in, in your in your storied career. So um, maybe just walk us through. I mean, what what was you know sometimes there's just those years right the chemistry just works oh, or you know, I mean sure. things are just rolling like what uh what was that season like for you and, and walk us through it so I, I think the biggest uh I mean the biggest thing is is if you rewind we got traded Pat Lafontaine went to Buffalo and uh and uh and Dave McCoin myself Benoit Hope and Yui Kou so, I mean, we got traded in the same train, uh, same trade to uh, to Long Island, and the same day we had Steve Thomas and Adam Creighton that was in that and Dean from Chicago. So we had six guys coming in, and then uh, Randy, 
Uh, it was Patty, and I'm trying to look. Um, is it Muller? So anyway, another guy got it. I should know this, but I just I blank. I'm blanking. Anyway, so they made the, the trade, and and they actually turned it, it turned around the team. And I think you know, in that puzzle, everyone had something to do with the success we had when we were there. So '93. Um, obviously we, we built on something the first couple of years and, and Al Arbor as a coach was incredible. Uh, he's to me, he was a dad to everyone and he was, uh, he, he could actually, he had the skill of adjusting to every individually, the players to make, to make sure they were the, at their best. And that's the skill. I mean, obviously, you push different buttons to have the result from players. And some guys got to be hard. Some guys got to be positive. Some guys you just – and he, he was able to – I mean, he, he had, you know, he was a coach for so many years, and he had that vibe. And and, uh, and that year was just uh, – everyone was – we had a good year. Um, and and coming down to the end against Pittsburgh, I mean, we – we won against Washington, and then we went against Pittsburgh, and which is Lemieux, Jagger, and all these guys. We weren't supposed to beat them, you know. And I re always remember that meeting we had. He goes, you know what? Al says, we have nothing to lose. I mean, let's, you know, it's we're the underdog here, and I believe we're going to win. He goes, and we're all looking at Al, sure, we will, you know. So, but at the end of the day, I came out the game seven, OT, uh, David Volek scored the pass from Ray Ferraro. Uh, but did we believe that at the beginning? No, but he made us believe that we could do it. So uh, so he had a lot to do with our season and even my season personally. Uh, he had a huge impact on my career, you know. So uh, that year was just, you know, like you said, some years are just going that way. And it's just, you know, you go in front of the net and the hit puck hits your butt and goes in. So. And those things you take it, you know. So it's one of those years you just uh, and 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 that year also I finished eight, so it was a lot of there was a lot of players having an incredible season too. So it was kind of a you know had a good season, but at the same time it was a lot of players uh, for some reason had more stats than different seasons. So well, you got the. Um... Well, first of all, you, you're you're too humble and and too gracious because I don't think too many went off your butt out, out of the out of the fifty eight. You, uh, you you were definitely a guy that uh, that was Dave Anderchuk's job, stand in front of the net and put those goals was, in Buffalo, right? He was unbelievable. I got I got to say, Dave Anderchuk could he was doing that, and I played with him a couple of years, and he could find that place. Though he in front of the net, he could find that little hole that he needed to put that puck right there, and he was incredible. So it was a very uh, those were fun years also. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I want, I'd love to talk about Al Arbor because I'm, I'm really, I mean, I probably haven't listened to any episodes, but I mean, the, the, yeah. the whole philosophy around up my hockey is, is how to be our best, right. And how to help it's players, right. you know, f find, find their way on their journey, whatever it is they want to achieve. And, and, mm -hmm. and there's, there's oftentimes on the journey, right. And you've played for enough guys where there's, there's, there's coaches that work and really help. And there's coaches that sometimes don't, you know, um, sure. And it's good to talk about both sides of it. And obviously you found somebody there with Al Arbor that was really beneficial to you and the way that he was able to work with you. And, and what do you think was, was that secret sauce there with Al? You, you mentioned him able to push buttons and treat everybody individually and was kind mm -hmm. of like a father figure. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit more? Well, let's say, I mean, I always remember that um, it was a, a, a time that I was struggling during the year. Uh, you know, I, for so many games, I wasn't scoring. And he calls me in his office and he goes, uh, he goes, how are you doing? 
and I thought I was like, you know, he's going to give me other. He goes, I don't really mind, and I don't really care if you score or you have a point. I want you to focus on small areas of the game. Because at the end of the day, those smaller areas of the game, that's what creates scoring chance. It's winning the battles around the, the, there's a puck there. It's yours. You know, there's two guys battling for it. Come out with it. So put your shoulder down and go attack, have the mentality. You're going to come out with it. So these things that you learn from coaching staff, he, from him, especially uh, made a big impact. And next thing he knows, I was forcing, focusing on chipping the puck out when it was time to chip it in, bad checking hard, stopping in front of that net for rebound. Don't slide on a side. And when there's a battle around the board, it's yours. That's what you got to come out with, you know? So the attitude you got to have is, so that creates scoring chance. That creates someone that's going to score. So you're going to score. So it started, all of a sudden it changed. And in my mentality after that, you know, I had skill starting before this, but the mentality of battling around the boards, really coming out with the puck and do the smallest little things of the game, uh, that helped me personally to grow. You know, so I really learned a lot from Al Arbor in small situations. So give you an example, too. Uh, you, you, you're in your zone. You're making a pass across. It gets intercepted. It goes to your side. They score. So what's your process in your mind when you go back to the, ben the bench? Obviously, you made a mistake. So it does. It, is it going to bother you? Is it gonna, you? Are you going to be effect for the rest of the game? So you got to be able to process this. And he was explaining this. Is it in? process learn from it move on next shift don't even think about what happened after that just learn from it that's it and all of a sudden you just got to go out there and just be fresh make sure you're moving forward it's all about what's in front of you it's not about what's behind you can't do anything can't change anything it's behind so uh that the smaller things like this i felt like he he was able to get in everyone's mind and and for me it was those small things that made a big difference just to, to the way I approach the game and the way I learn from him. So that's awesome. I mean, to me, that speaks to th two things. One, he was able to provide that feedback or those suggestions in a way that you bought in with, right? Yeah, Which I think true. is a skill, right? Like you, you definitely have to, he had to craft that in some way that you were like, yeah, I believe this and I believe this is going to help me. Um, yeah. So good. He was probably a technician of that, but that also speaks volumes to you that you were able to receive that information and be able to use it. Cause sometimes, sometimes guys are resistant to that. Um, yeah. It, was there was there a method to that madness or a strategy that you can look back on now? Like, how did he approach you about making you, you know, realize that there was value in the board battles? Uh, it, it's just what just because all of a sudden I was not doing well for a couple of games, 10 games or something and not scoring for 10 games, which is a long time. And next thing you know, he's he's telling you that it doesn't matter, you know. I want you to focus on small things. That's so, and and all of a sudden you you're instead of being tight, instead of of being afraid to make a mistake or being you know see that net a small net instead of being a bigger net. Because in when you shoot, there's two way to think about it. Like you shoot the score, you shoot the shoot. There's there's so I mean so but you 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 I think you learn. The small areas of the game, but you come in front of that net, then you get confidence. You get one, you get five, you know, yeah. so it opens the gate. And yeah. somehow uh, he was able to transmit this to, and you talk to all the players that played for him, they all think the same, it's, you know. Um, so, so he made a huge impact on, I remember Derek King, 
he's coaching. I think he's a assistant coach in Chicago now. He coached for Chicago for, and when he actually was AHL, I was able to Dominic, my son, was playing there, so I was able after the game to say hi to him and and I asked him a question. I said, uh, "So who's who was the biggest impact in your game? Well, who 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 did you learn the most?" to be the coach for what you're at today. And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, everything from Al, everything from Al Arbor. So that tells you a lot. I mean, he had, he had a huge impact and, and a lot of players. And and the way he coached now and the way he thinks comes from a lot from Al Arbor. So it's pretty amazing. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. I like how he took the opportunity, like waited for maybe you to have like a downturn or a stumble. And then obviously now you're looking for answers too, right? Like you yeah. probably wouldn't have approached you when you're on a heater, you know, but approaches you, Hey, he might be looking for some answers. Here's some, here's some information that uh, you can do what you want with. And yeah. And, uh, and you grabbed it. I, I want to re revert back to the part where you're talking about mistakes. And I think this is a super interesting one. Cause that's what I do now with players. Um, you know, I'm in the mental performance space and, and these intangibles, like these ways to process things, as you use that word, really mm -hmm. do matter. Like, but when you're Probably on the mistake. ice, what does a mistake mean? Right. So like one, there's the personal side of that, which I think is important, right? You have to have the growth mindset around a mistake. You need to be able to understand what you needed to learn from that mistake. So you try not to do it again the next time. Right. And then yep. move forward. However, yep. I want to throw back at you the idea of when you're in a situation, and some of these guys that I deal with are in there, and many players on many teams are, when you're in the fourth, third line role, and that one mistake yeah. may cost you your shift. You know, like when you're in a situation where you know you're going to go back out there, it's a little easier to pick up this kind of, you know, lexicon, right? Yeah, okay, this, like, I'm going to, I'll sort of go and I'm going to go back out and have another shift, but you might not get another shift. So, you have a great point. What would be your advice on that for players in that situation? I, I think you gotta you gotta know your role. You know, we had you know uh, we had different players, obviously, and uh, Mick Vakoda. You know, so Mick Vakoda was on the fourth line. You know, he knew that if he was he even made a mistake, but he stayed on his role and he stayed. You have to, you know, you might not play twenty shift. You might play four shift, three shift, and those three or four shift are going to be extremely important for the team, also. So he was able to communicate that to him. And I think Al, I mean, obviously, Al was very good with communicating even with with the fourth liner and the third liner and, and just the fact that they they were a big piece of our team. Because at the end of the day, you might have three or four shifts. They're a big shift for us. And you're right, though. If you do a mistake, if Miguel Cota turns it over once or twice – there's a big chance he's not going to see the ice again. You're right. I mean, it's yeah. just, a, but he realized it. He didn't try to make a play. It was a chip and I'm going to go work. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's different, you know, today might be a little different with the players because the fourth line is they're skaters. They're, they're creating, I mean, they could play hockey, you know, yeah. and Mick could play hockey, but he could, does something he did. There's something very, very good. He was tough. Yeah. And, and he wasn't afraid. And, uh, and I remember during the lot between, the period, first or second period, he used to walk right in and say, Terge, are you okay? Can I do something? Can I help? I knew what it meant. Like, obviously, I said, no, no, everything is okay. Stay out of the box. We just want to stay out of the bed. You know, we just don't want to be in trouble. So, yeah. but he took his role, like an incredible role, and he did a huge difference for us to be successful. And I have a lot of respect for what a job, you know, not an easy job. I'll tell you, crazy. So. 
No, man. I mean, great shout out there. I mean, gone, gone really is that error, or at least of that specified type of role, you know, like that yeah. was, you know, completely enforcer. There are definitely still some tough guys in the league that police a little bit, but I mean, it's not quite the same as it was. You I mean, in that era, gentlemen like yourself, you know, if you didn't have that guy in the team to watch your back, guys would take advantage of you, you know I mean? 100%. Yeah. 100%. You are right. So that, that, that piece of puzzle was important to our team, man. And uh, I played with Tony Twist. Tony Twist was the same, you know, what a tough guy. And it's just, and he did his job well, and he had a career out of it. Yeah. And uh, and again, I mean, it's just there's there's it's a lot of respect because you just it's a tough job to do, and you don't know. Sometimes it's one punch, and you know, yeah, and it might be you might be in trouble. So it's it's uh, a lot of respect for these guys, and uh, I was grateful to have those guys around my uh, around our team for yeah, sure. All right, going to take a short break here from the discussion with uh, Pierre Turgeon to share a testimony with you. This is something that I don't do enough of. It's something I want to do more of, uh, is just share the success stories from real-world players uh, or real-world parents and what they've experienced with the program, whether working as an individual through the program in the Peak Potential Hockey Project or in a team setting. Uh, working through the Peak Potential Hockey Project. And this comes from a recent graduate. It was one cohort ago, and he's a 16-year-old captain of his U17 AAA team. So an accomplished player um, that was just looking for a little bit more. He thought that maybe he should have made the U18 team. Uh, he was having a successful campaign where he was at, but he just was wanted to explore. He wanted to explore what mindset could do for him and uh, kind of came in honestly to the program not super super willing like it was something that his parents talked to him about he was a little bit reluctant but then he he joined and was willing to join and then was willing to go all in once he got inside which is generally the case once players get inside the program and and we found out in our discussions about mindset and you know fixed versus growth and what that means and what the perspectives mean that he actually came into the program with with quite a few areas where he had a fi fixed mindset towards things and so as we worked through the program and as we worked through some of the assignments uh he gained new connections. He grew new perspectives. And he was able to transfer these things into his practice, into his uh, practice on the ice, his practice habits away from the rink, and uh, and also into his gameplay. And he left the program on an all-time high, uh, season-high point streak, uh, playing the best hockey uh, of, of the season. And more importantly, was really empowered and proud of the steps that he had made. Uh, which is always the best part for me. Obviously, I want uh, the success to transfer into on-ice performance. That's what these these players are, are most uh, concerned about. But the ability to leave something better, to feel like you're better, to feel that you now have tools, that you are empowered to make new choices, uh, and that you were able to put in the work that have that has allowed you to come out better on the other side. These are the kind of the more uh, intangible results uh, that I really, really love because that's what he's going to take with him throughout this, uh, I mean, the rest of his life, quite frankly. And uh, I just want to share a message that his, his mom wrote me. And uh, she said, first and foremost, I want to tell you how happy we are with your program. Luke can be quite aloof, so I'm not sure how he came across during the sessions, but he took away so much from it. He had a bad pass 
uh, one game, which resulted in a goal against. And after the game, he told his dad that he used the three R's. The three R's is a technique that I teach inside the course how to deal with a mistake. Um, he used the three R's to get his head back into the game for the next shift. It's not easy to get through to 16-year-olds on mental strength, and your delivery was spot on to really engage them. Um, the mom ended up going on to be so uh, impressed with the program and the success that Luke experienced that she uh, gave my my contact information and was willing to share uh, the success story with their GM of the program. So the entire team was would be able to take it the next season. So I really do appreciate those testimonials. I, I should do more of sharing, um, you know, more stories like Luke, a 16-year-old who's who wants to be a junior player and who wants to play D1 and and has these big goals and dreams and steps into a four-week program and has these amazing results, uh, results that not only he feels and his coach sees, but his parents also are able to see and to uh, and to get excited about. So, again. Um, there's no ideal player for, for the program. If you want to be better, if you want to explore the competitive advantage that mindset can give you, and you're like most people out there, not sure where to start or how to do it, uh, you're in the right spot. You know, Up My Hockey is that place, and the Peak Potential Project is now a proven commodity that is uh, over 250 graduates and all with their own story of how, of how successful it has been for them. So if you're interested in the next cohort or if you're interested in having your team or your association, or your prep school, whatever the case may be, um, get involved in mindset and get involved in mental strength and uh, and how to build confidence, then Up My Hockey is the place for you. And you can find that at www.upmyhockey.com. I am now building my schedule for uh, the fall of 23-24 season and um, would love to get your association involved or your team involved if you're a general manager or a coach and get you on on the list. If you are an individual player, uh, I plan to run the next guided mission probably towards the beginning of April. So you can also put in uh, your name on the wait list or just get enrolled right now for that. Uh, lots of ways to get involved, but I do strongly suggest that you start taking an interest, a curious interest, and maybe a leap of faith for some of you and get involved in training your mind. Get involved in your personal development and see how that is going to affect your play and uh, your, your results on the ice. Now let's get back to my conversation with Pierre Turgeon. With, yeah. uh, I mean, like I said, this is 101 episodes, so I've had some you know, some really big names, some guys from my era and, and uh, you know, like Jerome McGinley has been on and, you know, cool. had Redden on and, you know, so cool. I've had some guys, but like, it's funny, it's not funny, but we just talk about opportunity a, a lot here too, right? And like how that works and that, that the league's a tough league to get into and, mm -hmm. and it's even tougher when you're in that spot where the mistake really does matter that they're more watching for the mistake than they're watching for the the right play let's say you know yeah. like i just wade came to mind because he was second overall he went to ottawa and um and he said that he was essentially because of injuries too they essentially told him like no matter what you do you are going to go play again you know like we we want you to develop here in this league like not many yeah. guys get that much rope but oh my goodness like what a different way to play when you're not necessarily concerned about you know, making that turnover or, or costing something, right? Pushing that puck up. And and that's kind of yeah. been the, the, the thing. It seems like the guys that do, like, which is why the, the the draft placing and all these things kind of come into effect because you you get a little bit more chance, you know, and that mm -hmm. chance is sometimes very helpful. Um, 
I want to, I'm just going to bring that into the idea of you now being first overall and like, what an mm-hmm. amazing, like how many guys in the history of the game can say that they were first overall and your brother went second. So maybe we should talk about that too, but mm-hmm. uh, because your brother was a little bit before you, I think three or four years, if I remember correctly. Four years. Um, yeah. So you were able to watch that. You were able to watch him obviously be a mm-hmm. great player and you're able to watch him get scouted in the, and the draft and all that. And, and how did that, uh, how, how did him walking in, in front of you like that help you for, for your journey through junior? So this is funny because, uh, so, so I'm going to rewind this when my brother was young, he wanted to play hockey. My, my dad was a lumberjack. So that's what he did for a living. And my mom, I used to clean house. And so, and uh, a lot of respect for my parents. They're, they're, and, and they actually didn't know anything about hockey. So they just, so my brother actually four and a half years older than me went to see my dad and asked him, can I play hockey? My dad goes too tough. It's too rough. He's a lumberjack. So <laughs> you know, it's crazy. So you can't do this. And then he goes, uh, he goes, well, I'd like to, while it's too rough. And, and so he actually goes to see my uncle and he actually asked him uh, $5 so he could put his name on the, on the list to go. So he went to the rink, actually put his name on it. He came back and all my cousin had full of equipment, all the equipment. So he made a bag of it, came back to my dad. He goes, I want to play hockey. So that's how it started, really. So my dad didn't want to. And he actually convinced my dad that he wanted to play hockey. So, and, and then the more I moved forward, obviously, I didn't realize, for me, I had the passion of being on the ice. And I wanted to play hockey. So I just wanted to be outside, play hockey. I just didn't know about, about money. I didn't know about things. I didn't know. I just didn't know. It's just, it's just, I just wanted to play hockey. And, uh, and uh, every weekend I used to go to the rink early in the morning. I brought my, uh, lunch and dinner and i asked every team to practice with them i stayed at the rink all day i just it just yeah, that was my saturday and sunday that's all i wanted to do didn't go out i went back to bed at seven i was done tired next day it was cool and uh that's all i did and and so my brother actually had a huge inf- you know impact on my career because i was looking up to him and uh when he made the nhl he played for hard for you know i was uh 14 at that point i'm like whoa okay so i just didn't and then i was playing midget triple a and i was i just didn't realize what it was i just i just wanted to play and next thing you know is the more you move forward and this is material but it that's when it hit me my brother came back as after his first year he, and he came back with a porsche 944 so he drives back, and I'm looking at this car. I'm like, okay. I said, you play hockey, you could get things like this. And it's just <laughs> material. And, you know, it's just material. And all of a sudden, I go, okay, now I really want to play hockey. I just didn't I didn't understand until it hit me when I was 15 years old, I think. 15, 16. And uh, next thing you know, that's, I, he had a huge impact, and I saw something that – it's his material, but it made it it made a difference on the way I was thinking about it. I want to play hockey now, so yeah, that is fantastic. <laughs> um, what uh, what was that? I mean, you mentioned about kind of living at the rink and just having this this passion for it, and that is definitely a, a common a common theme, you know, throughout guys yeah. who get to the NHL. I mean, you have to love what you yeah. do, or else it's not mm-hmm. you know going to get there, right? Because there's going to be mm-hmm. enough times throughout that journey where there's going to be reasons to quit. 
you know, like definitely reasons to quit. Um, what was your biggest point? Like if you were to remember one point, maybe, maybe well, whether it be minor hockey or professional, like what, what was, what was the thing that stands out as far as the biggest point of adversity for you? That was the toughest thing to get through. Uh, I, 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 I think the biggest, the biggest thing is, uh, I mean, there's been adversity in youth hockey and stuff, but the biggest thing, what people don't realize is I, I think the step from junior to the NHL is humongous. Like it's, it's, there's only so many players We have 700 and something players that play in the NHL every year and that's it in the world. Like it's hard to make it. So the first uh, couple months, and that's what you were saying earlier, some guys have more more breaks and they have more opportunity. And so the first three or four months, uh, it was actually, I was playing in Buffalo. The ice was a little smaller. Everything was quick. And, you know, I played with Clark Gillies, Mark Napier, Lindy Ruff, uh, Mike Ramsey. Uh, I'm 18 coming in. I barely could speak the language. I can't speak English at all. Zero. I can't even say hi. How are you doing? Since it's how bad. But but the first three months, the ice, the ice was smaller. I had the puck. The puck was gone. It was like, whoa, okay, what's going on here? So even I was drafted, like you said, number one, I'd have had more opportunity to actually stay than they, they really believed in me. So after a couple months, it clicked, you know, and all of a sudden I said, I belong here. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And, but it took a couple months to really feel like um, the, the speed of the game, the, the size of the rink. Uh, the strength of the game, the guys are stronger. Everything was just it was, you, now you're going from boys to men, like a big difference, and it makes it, it was a big difference. So the adjustment was, uh, um, and Jeremy and was, was incredible. He was the manager there, and he actually we want you to grow through all this, and he did. And uh, and that first year was uh, my first couple months. I learned a lot, and I learned a lot after that. But but it was it was really. Uh, a, 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 eye-opener that it's the NHL it's it's there's it's fast it's strong and it's uh it's the best thing in the world yeah yeah and there is um not only the I mean you kind of touched on it. I mean the the adjustment is not only physical I mean it's definitely mental you know the speed of the game and sure. uh you know the belief system which which I really like the fact that you pointed that out that I belong here you to get to yeah. get to that point where you can actually look in the mirror and say this is where I'm supposed to be you know that like that's a that's a really seminal moment, right? Like that. Yes, I have arrived, and I'm supposed to be here. And yeah. um, and not everyone, you know. Again, I can speak to that from the other side of it. I mean, my rookie year, I was 20 years old, left junior f after three years or four years at 19, and and I, like they were. I was in the third, fourth line role, which was completely fine. That was the way Florida wanted to bring me up. You know, I mean to gr to grow to sure. allow me to grow into it. Um, but when you're playing, you I mean, I don't know if I, I might've only played probably 15 minutes a couple times. And like, at that point, you're still mm -hmm. like eyes like this with everybody you're playing against. Right. Like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I was on the ice with Mario Lemieux, my boyhood idol. Right. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's crazy. You know? So it was, <laughs> I never really had the chance to get through that initial awe factor. Right. Of like, yeah, you know, and, um, and again, I mean, opportunity is such an interesting thing because I mean, you never know how many you're going to get. Right. And now looking back mm -hmm. on it, I wish I would have maybe adjusted a little bit quicker, or at least told myself to adjust a little quicker because I didn't know the runway was going to be so short, but, um, still, I mean, amazing that, that, um, 
the belief aspect I think is so important and, and it has to come not only from you, I'm, I'm sure it had to come from you, but th- like that, that conversation with the GM had to matter too, right? Like what your teammates 100%. are telling you matters as well, right? Like yeah. what your environment's saying. Yeah, I think it's, it's got a lot to do with, with uh, it's a learning process. 18, you're young to you're coming in. Um, and, and there's always, you, you got to have an open mind of learning. You got to have an open mind of, of it's never perfect. You're still going to learn. I mean, I'll tell you a story after that. But uh, later on in my career in St. Louis, um, I learned something else. When I was 27, like, okay again so uh uh but but anyway before i get there we it's 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 you're right it's just you need to have the you know the p- people that believes in you um you know and and then uh you, you gotta have the skill you gotta have the timing is there there's a lot that comes in play you know and uh and uh you know but for me I, I, somehow uh, every time i got on that ice there's a lot of bubble that came around me and i just i was in that bubble there's nothing, even now I play and I still have that bubble around me. It's not about, you, you kind of shut down, the, you hear the fans, but you kind of shut down. There's a black thing. What? Where am I going to go get that black thing? I want it. Where is it? What can I do to retreat that black thing? So you're kind of zoning and there's, there's the bubble. You're just, that's all you think of. So you don't even think about nothing else. It's just, you get in that bubble. It's just a great place to be in and, and you're in the moment present moment that's it there's nothing else and uh and so it's it's uh but you learn these things with with experience obviously talking with al arbor and and uh and uh but it's it's uh you do you do you do need to have good people around you you need you need to have good teammates that supports you and you know advise you and and there's a lot of things that you learn from that when you're young for sure that bubble is a really cool way to think about it. You know, like some people have called it the, the zone, right? Where yeah. you're kind of, you're just, there is nothing else. And, and time sort of slows down even a little bit. Like things, things happen right. in your head slower than they're actually happening on the ice. Was there, was there anything you said that you learned that over time? Was there anything that you did specifically from a preparation standpoint or, or on the ice between shifts or any of that, that would help you get into that zone? Uh, you know, I, I think I I had that zone when I was young to just because every time I there's a puck or, or you get in that ice, there's nothing else to think of. You just in a moment, you know. So I I I was young and I had that or right away. And and I I you learn after that when things are not going well, that's not going to go your way. So there's there's what do you do with these things? And that that you learn with experience and then you learn with the people you're with or from coaching staff, from, from teammates, from, and, and, and so, it, but when you're young, you just, I was just, every time I get on the, like, again, now I get on the ice and I still play twice a week. I love it. I get it. I do, it's a workout and I'm not going to the gym, just being closed down, you know, a wall, four walls. And I, I go out and I'm having fun and I bubble again. I do that. I do it. I just, I come, I go up, I just focus and I have fun with it. I just love it. It's just, uh, I think it's the best game. It is the best game for sure. So, so it's, but, but you, you, you do learn. And like I said earlier, with the, with the people you played with and the the coaching staff and timing, be at the right place, the right time. And, and, but but that bubble is a place. It's a nice place to be in. But uh, I had that when I was playing outside, having fun. Right, I, I bubbled again. Yeah. I was living that bubble. So good for you. Yeah, yeah I mean that's um, 
that is something that I try and teach because a lot of times, and you'll, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you see it. You can see it in the NHL even, like when guys are caught in indecision, right? When they're trying to think it mm -hmm. on the ice, right? Like, mm -hmm. and that never usually results in anything positive, right? So it's like trying to trying to give the inputs prior to some, and sometimes the game, like the preparation aspect, whether it be visualization the night before or whatever yep. moments are happening. So when you're in the game, in the moment, you're now not having to make these decisions, right? They've kind of already been made. You're just reading, you're taking in information and you're responding to them in a natural way. Um, yep. Which I mean, now I'm jumping back to the whole mistake thing. Cause then you see those, some of those kids or the prospects are having a hard time. And now yeah. it's like, well, I think I should do this, but now I don't want to get in trouble if this doesn't work. So now I'm just going to, you know what I mean? It's like this it's whole harder. thing, you almost see what's happening in their head. Yeah, it, it, it is harder. And, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's, you're reacting to the game. You're in the moment. You're just, but there's things like, let's say you have a, you know, Alex three on, you want to go to a place on ice, I always say this, but you want to go to a place where you have time and space to create. So because a game, it's about taking time away in space if you're playing defense. So if you're going three on two and you're – so if you go wide enough and when you get the puck, then you have time to do something with it because you don't have a sticks. So if you stay close to defenseman, you get the puck, he pokes you. So you want to go places where, where you're going to have time and space to create. That's what the game is, you know, so, so, but you got to think about these things before you get the puck. And just to give you an example, why, why is even in the NHL right now, they have, there's a power play and it's in the OZ zone, you know, and it's on the left side. They're battling for the puck. Why are they rimming the puck all the way down to the D far side? It's because you want to have time and space. So if that makes sense. So you're, you're a lot of times everyone claps down in that corner. You send that D all the way to the board far. You rim it as far as you can. When he gets that puck, usually you could go behind the net. You could have a pass down. You could reopen. But at least you have time and space to create because yeah. that's what it is. I mean, you just and then the defense want to take away your time and space. So two players that I really had, uh, you know, admiration to play against. Uh, what they were very good at, it's Lindstrom and Ray Borg, to me, my opinion, two defensemen. So before the puck drops, I knew they were there. So if I could go to the other side, I'll go to the other side. So I just knew it. This is something I, I just, you know, but they were so good to get close to you. So when you had the puck, they were able to poke you and took your time. As, so you really have to think about it, like go a little further down just to try to go far enough that so when you get the, that puck, you got time just to do something with it. and But they were so good to take away that your time and space. And that's the hardest thing in hockey. If, if you want to create and you don't have the time, then it's it's it's, it's harder, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but these two guys were, I had a lot of respect for them. It was harder to play against. Why? Because they just, they were very good to, to manage their time and the space where, where to go and, and knowing exactly how close you want to be to the forward to take away that time. So... Yeah, and on the flip side of that, probably the, I mean, well, the, the GOAT and, and, you know, the best to play as far as from a points perspective, like, that was something that Gretzky was just brilliant at, wasn't oh. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was incredible. He slowed down that game. He actually brought slowing down. He didn't need a lot of space, but he when he had that space, he had two guys on him, and he hit Paul Coffey hitting late, coming late. He had Curry coming late. He had, I mean, he was able to just uh, bring everyone to him because he could, just slow it down and, you know, use that small little space getting in that zone and 
usually two or three guys went on him. You try not to because, but he's so good at it that he brought you there. And yeah, uh, no, I, I love you breaking it down into that concept. And I, I try to teach when, when I'm coaching the young guys too in concepts, like, you know, like not necessarily like a structured system, but like, what are we trying to accomplish? And what you're trying to accomplish is to create space either for yourself or for someone else, right? When you have the yep. puck and when you don't have the puck, how do you find space to receive it back? Right. So it, it's totally all about space, space and space scene and, and uh, whether you have the puck or without the puck. And then obviously you, you, you've spoken very eloquently about uh, Bork and Lindstrom on the on the yeah. other side of it, like defensemen yeah. should be trying to get in spots where they're taking away space and time, yep. right? So it's it's totally all about space on the ice, and it's not the rink's not getting any bigger anytime soon. Right? Uh, the, no, it's not. It's <laughs> not. But even defense, I mean, obviously, if you're a defenseman or if you're a centerman, you come back to help your defenseman. Uh, you know, Al McInnes used to be communicate a lot he's a good friend and he's a great guy and i have a lot of respect for him saying he he was communicating go attack don't take time just don't your legs are got to be moving the time you don't move your legs you're giving time your feet are got to be moving mm -hmm. so if you go in that corner to take away time and space you want to get that puck go if you're on a d zone you want to take away that stick puck just come out chip it out whatever but quick it's got to be on it on it on it right away and he was so good at communicating. And uh, and that's one thing he was very – him and Chris Barger obviously played with him for, for a couple of years. And uh, and these two guys are the same thing. You know, I was I was, I was happy to play with these guys for sure because they were yeah, good, you know, exactly. 100%. Elite-level yeah. defenseman and Pronger, uh, by all accounts, had a, had a lot of nastiness in him that you didn't really oh, want, yeah. to, want to be around him or too close. I heard even in practice you didn't really want to get too close to him. Is that true? No, he was fine. I mean, he was good. He, he was good, but he was he was very he was good too. He was a good player. Like yeah. try to flip the pass over someone's sticks, over the sticks, go to the other side. He got in the air, put it down. It's just like he was killed. Like he yeah. was good. Like yeah. and yeah, he could be he could be mean too. That's that's you know. But uh, in practice, he could. But he was he was good most of the, most of the time. I mean, he was fine. And then and then uh, you know on a par play him and Al McInnes. Well, that's that's pretty scary. You know, yeah. that's, that's, yeah, so we had uh, fun years in St. Louis for sure. So, but back to you in junior, I guess. So you, you had your brother, he comes home in the Porsche, you get to see that, oh, there's actually maybe some dollar <laughs> bills at the end of this hockey thing that I seem to be pretty good at. Maybe gives you a little extra motivation to, you know, whatever, whether it's in the, in the weight reason. room or, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, uh, but at what point now, so you go play junior, uh, was there like a U17 for Team Canada recognition? Like, when did you start to know that, hey, like, not only are you probably up for the draft, but you might be one of the best, if not the best, in your class? Like, when did that start to materialize for you? Well, I kind of knew. I mean, so if I rewind, I mean, our – so Hawaiian Aranda is seven hours north from uh, from Montreal. And uh, so we had, uh, we had great hockey. So I went from playing – midget when i was um when i was uh 13 and i went juvenile triple a when i was 14 on, and the guys were mans like they were starting to be man they were like 16 17 and 18 when i was 14 but when i was 14 i was six foot two so i know i just was a big boy so but i was young playing with 16 these guys went to the bar i went home after like i couldn't yeah so even if they were 18 they slashed they were able to get out i couldn't so yeah. but so i went i played with a different really good level of hockey back home 
then when I went back to Montreal, I went back to midget AAA. So I went back to midget, juvenile AAA, went back to midget, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was midget AAA. And then, uh, and then at that point, I was a year away, um, you know, from, from back home. And then I, and then I got drafted number one midget. I got drafted number one uh, um, junior. Oh, okay. You're number one yeah. draft as well. So, so, so I had, you know, I just love it. I, I wasn't about number one in a bit. I just didn't really mind. It was, I was playing hockey. So, yeah. and then I realized after my first year, maybe uh, uh, junior that, I, okay, this is, it's starting to look maybe, maybe there's a chance because you just don't know. You just right. don't know. I mean, and uh, and after that, that second year, uh, my first year, after my first year, I'm like, okay, I have a chance. Maybe hopefully it goes well next year. And then it went well, and I got drafted number one. So, um, so, but I, I kind of knew that I had a good chance. But you know, at the end of the day, I wasn't focusing on this. I was focusing on my bubble. Right. That's what I was focusing on. Every time I get on the ice, let's focus on that bubble. That's it. So I didn't really phase of felt the pressure or felt i just want to be in that bubble and i that was my look into it if that makes sense no it does i mean my goodness gracious it sounds like it was it was it was so natural for you too right to to be able to create that especially at that age with all the you know the things that could be going on or, or that were going on yeah. around you right yeah. you mean there was people that wanted to talk to you i'm sure you knew there were scouts there you knew there were stories being written about you and um, just to stay in that in that sweet spot uh, is is much easier said than done. Is there any like you said it was just natural for you? But like, how do you how do you, how was it natural for you about the bubble away from the rink? How did you keep all that noise away? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a very good, it's 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 hard because you do hear it. You're in Montreal, so I mean, obviously the media is talking. There's a chance. So so when you when you get off the ice, all of a sudden people there's expectation. They're saying, "Well, what about they're thinking that you're gonna go here? You're gonna go there. so." But you're you're right. There's expectation. You hear more of noise uh and when you're 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 just off ice you go to school you hear about it you go to you know and media the journal de montreal they talk about it so it was it was uh so but i, I mean the good thing is i was able to shut it down when i came to the rink and i was able just to being playing hockey and that was my go-to and uh and i just didn't know how to call it i call it bubble today but i call it bubble then but i didn't know what it was when i was young i was in I just didn't know what it was. I just got it in the moment, you know? So, uh, yeah. Would you, for the players in this day and age, because, uh, you know, even you're, you're, you're a bit older than me. And even when I was playing, uh, the mm -hmm. cell phones weren't around and the social media wasn't around. <laughs> and I mean, if you wanted to know what happened, you had to pick up the, the paper, like the legitimate yeah. paper and right. read it. Right. Um, would you be a guy that would have like would you be do you think you'd be tapped into like the twitter and the stuff now or or as a professional athlete would you be like out and like try and keep yourself as much in the dark as possible it is so, it's so funny you're saying this um two days ago my daughter was here we just opened a instagram and and a facebook account i just did two days ago that's funny you bring this up i was just i just didn't know i don't know i just never did Maybe I would have when I was young. I think when you grew up with it, I mean, the kids today, that's what they, they know. You know, that's yeah. what they, 
and uh and i i didn't really mind but they've been telling me you should get one and i did and you just bring this up and it was just a couple days ago <laughs> there you go yeah well, there's just so much i mean you have to be really disciplined i find in a way that kids i mean it's hard to be disciplined first even to your craft right but then i think yeah. with, with that with that uh addition now like on the social side and like you mm -hmm. know this device that's so that's so addictive just in and of itself and now you know so like i could I, for instance connor bedard like i i would love to know what connor bedard like how he uses his phone because you could fall in love with yourself really quick on that thing <laughs> you know what i mean right or, or, yeah, or there's yeah. the comparison <laughs> metrics like if, if you're not a connor bedard like they're, they're like everyone's doing better than you if you're a guy that's trying to get i mean there's just so many yeah. you know psychological things that can happen there if, sure. if you're going down the wrong rabbit hole so um yeah i don't know especially with the young kids i i, I think it's uh i think it's something yeah. that, that needs to be chatted about for sure you know what i mean and understood how you're using it yeah yeah and and just and it was easier then you're right and when i played in montreal for two years a year and a half to two years uh you know at one point i just not i mean you're montreal or toronto or you're very good or you're very bad i mean there's just no there's no metal. So, so, but it, it's, the experience was incredible. I loved it, uh, you know, uh, but I wasn't reading the paper in Montreal. So I was just at, you know, I went every morning, went to Tim Horton, get my coffee, went to the ring for practice, practice. And, and, and I had someone right behind me said, Hey, did you read the paper this morning? I said, no, I don't, but I'll tell you what they said about you. I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> so, you know, so it, those are things that, but it's the paper today. You're right. It's different. Now you have it in, all the time you know it's in the media it's in front of you it pops out on your phone i mean it's, it's easy to get the data it's and and how do you balance this mentally if it's negative that's gonna be tough it's not easy it's not easy too for sure so it's just everybody to find my ground opinion right everybody yeah. gets an opinion it's crazy yeah right? yeah um, i think if you're able to find that ground level as much as you can don't go too high don't go too low just be just there you know without because when things are going well it's easy to go here but when you go down there's a big gap yeah. you're going down like it's this so find that you know balance here mentally just to feel even if you hear something negative or something positive just be neutral as much as you can it's hard obviously yeah. it's not easy but i think it you benefit from it i think at the end of the day i think yeah no i think you're right i mean one of the things that i work with my with my players on is is the ability to self-assess like to really understand yourself i think that's like such a key to unlock yeah. like who you are and, and some some players i know thrive on it right like either they use it as motivation or you know whatever the case may be and some players it really breaks them you know and so it's like hey you know what just be honest with that i mean if you are somebody that that succumbs to the social media craziness then don't be on it you know what i mean like yeah. really don't be on it right and, and if yeah. you're somebody that uses it and uses it well then by all means but you do have to have that first step of recognition 100%. You know, where do i fit with this right yeah. um so your draft year you're going through it you're rolling it's I mean i'm just looking at hockey db right now 154 points in 58 games um obviously an incredible year 69 goals you go first overall is there any draft day stories like was it was it i mean by, by the way for those listening i believe uh brendan shanahan went second so i mean a hell yes. of a player obviously in his own yeah. right um was there some was there some discrepancy about who might go first that year uh they they were talking about i mean this when you look at glenn wesley was there incredible career uh joe sakic was you know 
down the road. I mean, I can't remember exactly which one, but the draft, you look at the players, incredible. I mean, that draft was uh, incredible, great draft. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, you, you just don't, you know, it was not, I didn't compare. I didn't just, I just wanted to, you know, be me. And that's what I, and so I didn't really, it was hard to know too. I did, we didn't have the social media to really get the information of every single player. It was just, it was more on, on, so you just go and, and I was just being nervous being at the draft, couldn't really communicate. And I was just focusing on that, just trying to say, I'm hopefully I'm not going to look too bad, you know, <laughs> try to communicate. And that's what I was, I was just nervous for that really. Right. And so it was hard to really sink in and appreciate it just because I was just, uh, out of my, you know, comfort zone and, uh, and, and 18 and just being away from, I've been away from home, but being away just from the the language and it's just not, you know, so I wasn't feeling very comfortable with it. But again, the Sabres and Jeremy and, and all these guys made it very comfortable to blend in and, and, and so I could really uh, ease myself in. So, yeah, the language barrier would be, would be definitely a, a huge okay. thing, especially you mentioned it already your first year pro there and trying to fit in with your teammates and, you know, not being able to know what they're joking about and what they're talking yeah. about and all that stuff would have been a challenge. Yeah. And the practice, the the coach. The, I mean, I mean, he's explaining something. Okay, I don't know. You you go behind the line. Hopefully, when you get to, it's your turn, you understand just by looking at it and seeing. Right. But there, one guy that really helped me, uh, it was uh, it was Jacques Cloutier. He was a goalie, the backup goalie there, and uh, he's a good friend of mine today. Uh, and I was able to just call him once in a while, and say, "How do you say I'm hungry?" Or just you know, how do you say you know? I just don't know, you know. So when Practice and the same thing. I used to go see him and say, "What are you? What am I? What are you supposed to do?" So he helped me quite a bit on that regard, for sure. So when it comes to that, maybe just talk about that because that is, I mean, that's obviously a real piece. Uh, oh, I had Vladislav yeah. Konon. I don't know you remember if you remember him yeah. at all, but he was a journeyman kind of throughout the league, and he came over uh, from Czech Republic and didn't speak a word of English as a as a nineteen year old, right? And was in the Western Hockey League couldn't talk to anybody right like probably yeah. felt like the loneliest person in the world so I, I did have a recent conversation about that but how did you like how did your english grow is it something that you that you dedicated yourself to with classes or you just pick it up organically I, I, I took class before going obviously to before the draft but it was really hard obviously it's being in the place where you have to speak it that was the best thing to do uh they actually put me with a village family but they only speak english my first year and a half two years so i was forced to really engage which was the best thing and then after a year year and a half i started feeling more comfortable and just uh, and i felt more uh, in being able to communicate with my teammates and, and but it took me a year and a half but the biggest difference was i got in you know the billet family was a great thing for me it was hard yeah. but I, I didn't have choice to, i was forced to speak it which was a good thing would you classify yourself more as an extrovert or an introvert just uh, on a natural human human scale uh, I don't know. I can't even. I don't know. I can't. Like, even the reason I ask that is because, like, sometimes, uh, you mean obviously you've been in person in locker rooms before, right? Some guys are really outgoing. Some guys are the life of the party. Some guys they sit in their stall and and will laugh, but usually aren't aren't involved in it. But then, if you now you add that layer on of now not being able to speak. So whether you're an extrovert, right, who wants to be in the center and like telling the jokes and stuff, or whether yeah. you're an introvert, like both those things like really get magnified or there's massive resistance there, right? So and, and like, yeah, I was I was more on the quiet side for sure. And yeah, 
for sure. I, I wasn't a loud guy. I wasn't a screen. Like, I was just more me just. Uh, but I did love the locker room, obviously. I love the, you know, it's just feel like you're home. And, uh, and there's things that uh, they talk about that you're like, okay, just you can't say this in the locker room, but you can't say it in any place else, you know. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the family locker room stuff. That it's fun. I mean, there's always jabs. There's always, it's part of just being the family, you know, and part of the family. And, uh, but that's what. That's one thing you do miss when you stop playing hockey is that, you know, yeah. and, but I, I wasn't the guy that used to be, uh, you know, in front and just, I was just more in the back and just listen, just let it be. And then, uh, yeah, that was me. It's going to take a short break again from the conversation with Pierre Turgeon to share another testimonial with you, another player spotlight. And this one comes from a U13 player uh, who unfortunately for him, was cut from his rep team. So there was one rep team in his local area. Uh, he was not able to make that team as a first year, and he was sent to house league. So he was playing house league and was not very happy with his results at camp, was not happy with his performance, wasn't happy with his preparedness and his, uh, his ability to overcome his nervousness. And he ended up enrolling in the mentored mission with me of the Peak Potential Project. So that means it's a one-on-one -on -one journey through the program. And over the course of six weeks, I worked with, with, uh, with this boy named Carter. Uh, and he started to see some significant changes. He started to see some changes in his insight and in his approach and his uh, willingness to deal with certain situations. And his, his, uh, he started to really see himself in the mirror for the first time about how he was getting in his own way. Uh, and part of the, one of the assignments in the, uh, in the peak potential project is to design what is called, I call a power statement. So similar to a goal, but not a goal. I, I don't really like to use the word goal. I, I like to use the word power statement because you're supposed to identify where you want to be in the short term and then also where you want to be in the long term. And, and when I'm getting these players to identify what that is it's it's identifying what it looks like you know what what role are they having on what team what are they doing how are they being utilized on that team and what are the results looking like and that exercise uh part of that why i have them do that exercise is because there's going to be a gap right between that player that person and who they are right now and so they need to build a foundation that's going to require them to get to that vision that they have of this power statement. So um, in Carter's power statement, he wrote that he his big goal was to make the U13 rep team. And uh, and at the time, he had about six months, I guess, to prepare for, for that. And that was his short-term power statement, that he wanted to uh, make his rep team, and he also wanted to be one of the, the go-to uh, uh, defensemen on that team. And and uh, I got a I got an email from from his mother uh, just after training camp, and and uh, mom writes, Carter wanted to make sure I sent you an email letting you know that he made his rep team and is so thankful for all the work you did with him. He really worked so hard at tryouts, and even other parents commented on his change in drive and endurance. We are very appreciative of your coaching. Now, those are obviously nice for me to read. Um, but again, it's nice for me to read because this kid is now empowered. And this kid was able to take his game to another level. 
Yes, I helped him in the beginning to build a foundation to connect some dots for him, but he was able to execute for six months after that to make it happen for himself. He is the one that did that. So they're thanking me, but he knows inside that he is the one that executed. He was the one that delivered. He was the one that made new choices. He was the one that showed up and was the player that he needed to be to make that happen. So it's so exciting for me because that is the legacy of the Peak Potential Hockey Project. And that is the legacy of, of working on mindset and working on your, on, your, uh, on your mental approach to things. Very unlike something like power skating, right? Like a power skating lesson or a skill session or something that will stay with you, yes, in your hockey, but it's not something that's going to serve you outside of the game with your schoolwork. It's not going to serve you when you walk into the next dressing room that you're in. It's not going to serve you when you're trying to design a practice plan for your summer, or trying to make a decision uh, on a rainy day, whether you should go for that run you wanted to or not. So these types of choices and these types of new connections uh, that these players are exposed to, and now they can make new decisions and they leave with a big smile on their face and they capture these things that they wanted. That is so inspiring to me. And yeah, there's another player spotlight of this time with a U13 player that was able to uh, capture what he wanted uh, on his own and uh and super thankful that they that they shared that with me and now i'm sharing it with you so again if you are interested in the peak potential project uh my signature mindset program uh whether it be a solo mission which is by yourself whether it be a guided mission which is with other athletes and involves my coaching or whether it be a mentored mission which is one-on-one -on -one with me throughout the entire program uh up my hockey www up my hockey is where you find that uh and again the other alternative is to take it with your team an amazing team building experience uh awesome for competitive teams gives you a competitive advantage in your league and actually is a competitive advantage for any program uh that is trying to um recruit players right that wants to have a program that is differentiated from others uh, when you have uh, a mental toughness program a mindset program that is a plug-and-play type deal with a with a mental performance coach like myself uh, that can aid your players you are obviously providing more than than some other associations or programs so it is a brand item and is also something that your players will benefit from and uh, and they will utilize so, yeah, www.upmyhockey.com if you're interested in that. And now let's get back to the conversation with Pierre Turgeon. I'm going to jump just here just because it's kind of a good spot to talk about leadership. And you are one of the, the few to, my goodness, don the, the Montreal Canadian jersey with a C on his uh, mm -hmm. left chest. Uh, yeah. what, uh, what One, I mean, a huge honor, and I'm sure you'll speak to it. But yeah. What, what was it like to be a captain and what did you feel your leadership style was uh, with, with while wearing the C? Yeah, I, I, you know, what's weird is you look at, you look at uh, the Montreal Canadian when I got there, you know, it was, uh, I get there, it was at the end, it was just trading deadline almost. And then we had a couple months to make the playoff and, and, uh, and but there's a lot of thing happening in a year and a half to two years. We're we're talking about, um, you know, Patrick was situation. Uh, I was there, uh, closing the form, opening the Mosin Center. Uh, they fired Serge Chavar. They hired uh, Regan Ol. Uh, you know, the uh, was gone, and then Trombley came in. So in a year and a half, 
this what happened. This is what I mean. There's a ton of stuff happened in a short period of time, and uh, it was. Uh, and then I was a captain for a short period of time too, just because the trade uh, uh, with Patrick and uh, uh, Keen went down. They went to Colorado, and Keen was the captain. So uh, and and to be and they when they closed the form, I was the captain. You just it's just be at the right place at the right time. That's all it was for me. I mean, you look at the history. And that ceremony that night, you look at all the captains on the ice, you're talking Jean Boliveau, Maurice Richard. I mean, you have big names there. And you guys had goosebumps. I'm like, what am I doing here? A little boy from Hawaii Naranda. What's crazy? You know, seriously. And I'm part of that tradition. I'm part of, you know, the ceremony. It's incredible. So um, what I remember the most, obviously, it's that. I mean, it's just that that's, there's nothing that could top that. Uh, you know, but again, I was just to be in the right place, the right time. You know, that's what it was. Great. Well, I, I was asking about the. Uh, well, I mean, my, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, just I, I, the tradition of Montreal Canadiens, and like I said, that's a, the, yeah. to have the to have the sea is is so wild. Um, mm -hmm. But you being a quieter guy, and you saying that you were kind of yeah. more of a quieter guy, more in the introvert yeah. style, and why I'm bringing yeah. that up is because, especially at the youth hockey level, like when I'm talking. To players, whether it be U11, even up to U15, U17, even U9, like junior A, like there, there's this preconceived notion that you have to be really good at giving speeches or you have to be the loudest guy in the locker room to be the leader of the team. And 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 I continually speak to, though, no, you need to be yourself authentically first is the most mm -hmm. important thing. Mm -hmm. And you're going to lead the way you lead, but your example is going to speak more than anything else you'll ever say, right? That anything will come out of your mouth. So, um, anyway, this thought yeah. maybe you could speak to that because you don't seem like a guy so, that would be giving game day speeches all the time. You'd probably be a guy yeah. leading more by example, and and maybe speak to the younger audience out there about what it means to be a leader if you're not somebody who's super vocal. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to be authentic. You are totally right. It's you. It's be you. Don't be anybody else. I mean, that's the way you are. I, Joe Sackick was one of the best captain I played for, this guy. Did he talk a lot? No. Al McInnes? No. Chris Monger? No. They, these guys talk once in a while, but they did. Uh, when they did, it meant something, too. So there's, there's, But it's okay. I think you said it, too. Lead by example. I mean, it's you want to be on the ice. You want to do what you do. And at the end of the day, if you have to say something, you do. But, you know, you want to show, you want to make sure you just, uh, you do it on the ice. And you don't need to be a loud captain. This captain has been, there. some guys are great speaker. And that's fine, too. I mean, it all depends. Be yourself. And and uh, and just looking at Joe Sackick was an incredible guy I played with. Uh, he's a friend today. And uh, and I look, you know, he's a, he's, I have a lot of respect for the man. That's for sure. Good example. But, um yeah, with with I mean, the one thing I, I talk about with uh, with again with the younger guys is like you have to be able to lead yourself first too. Like that's mm -hmm. like that is such a key component. Like you, they're so worried about you know what their teammates are thinking or how do I? I mean, well, are you taking care of your own yeah. backyard? Right? You I mean like you got to be able to take care of yourself, lead yourself, be a leader there, and then once you've got that figured out, now you can start expanding and looking towards others and being a leader for others. And um, sometimes I just think like the whole the whole leadership 
idea is backwards, you know, like thinking about others yeah. first, thinking about yeah. what I'm supposed to say first. It's like how you act and who you are comes first. And then you become somebody that people want to follow. So, yeah. Just, and, and, yeah. And I think you're it. And it doesn't need to be a lot. You come in the locker room in the morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Just smaller things. They're not big things, but there's things. And if you see someone that's struggling, go see him in person. It doesn't need to be in the front. You know, you don't. Can I do something? Can I help you? There's anything that bugs you or so being a leader. That's those. It's, it doesn't show it. You don't see it to the your teammate, but be kind and be you. And just if you go reach someone that needs help, you might say something that might make a difference for him. He might have a better day. He might have, you know, whatever that is. It's smaller details that I think helps. If you want to be a leader, think you, be good in you and focus on you being an example. At the same time, smaller things around the game could help other people around. To Was be there a any weight of that of that role um, that bogged you down at all, or did you feel pr pretty comfortable? In, I feel very, I felt very comfortable. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, it's just I love going in the locker room in the morning. Good morning, how you doing? Reach out, um, you know, just to say. I mean, it's just if you see someone that's not, you know it. You know, it's yeah. okay to say, can I do something? Can I help you? Can I, you know, just outside of hockey, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could, I'm not going to go to example, but yeah, I've been, I was in Montreal. Someone reached me and said, I have a problem with something. I said, okay, let me, I'll take, like, I'll go ask and we'll figure it out. Um, but it is, that's what you do. You know, and you do, you do, it's outside of hockey. Sometimes it could be personal and, uh, and, and you're just, uh, you're there to, to make a difference, you know, and you want to help. Ryan Johnson. So he was my actually Ryan Johnson was my first pro roommate, and we're still still buddies today. And he he was yeah. a guest uh, guest on, and um, he actually said something that I thought was was wild, and and I've actually used it now with with my uh, with my clients and with the guys that I'm working with. And that's what he said. When, whenever he got down or whenever he was having you know a rough time, you know, like he learned over the years, like I said, with experience, that that was the moment that he knew he had to go talk to somebody else. Like he, he cool. had to take his, he had to take his focus off of him and go try and lift up a teammate sitting across the room, yep. you know? Awesome. And That's I thought awesome. that was absolutely brilliant because mm -hmm. you know how that goes, right? That downward spiral and things get worse and everything gets negative. But if you focus your attention somewhere else and you want to make someone else have a positive impact somewhere else, all of a sudden that lightens the load for you too. So, um, you know, maybe you're saying there as a captain, even having that responsibility potentially could have even expanded you as a player and as a person, because you weren't you know, didn't, didn't get the opportunity to focus on what was going on with Pierre. You were worried about the other guys in the locker room. Yeah. And I think it's a great point, you know, for sure. I mean, it's just, yeah, if you help other people, I mean, it, it's gratifying to you. I mean, it's, it's, it's self esteem and you know, it's good for you. Yes. So, so I think it's, it's, it's a great thing. There's no doubt. hundred percent. Great, did great you, example. Did you, um, and I didn't have a chance to look it up. So you were given the C and then, like you said, you had a relatively short tenure there and you got traded to St. Louis. Did you get traded while with the C on, on your, on your chest? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's, I got, I asked to be traded from Montreal too. So, so the reason is we, the change and the things didn't connect well, uh, with, uh, some coaching staff and, and, but that was okay. I mean, it's just, and, and I think they were, the, the, I was 27 years old at that point and my role was supposed to change. They were, you know, getting older, you know, and I wasn't ready for that. So, uh, and that's the reason I wanted to move. So I stretched my career for another 10 years after that. So it was the right thing to do just because if I would have stayed there, 
and the approach they had was i'm 27 i'm getting older and i just wasn't ready for that so right so that's the one i asked that trade that's where i went to st louis and mike keenan was there as a coach so and i'm like he wants me and i for three months i played for him and i like i like it so it was good i mean i played a ton you know good. a lot but it was it was my experience was great. I mean, it was short, but it was good. So there's a different. I mean, that's actually maybe something to to, to contrast. <laughs> you know, you said you enjoyed your time with Mike. Some some players obviously didn't. I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like it was it was how, you know. And maybe you can speak to that more. You said Al had the approach of like he would touch everybody the way they needed to be touched, right? Yeah. Everyone he 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 would pull the levers. Did, was Mike a one one fits all approach, or did he try and do the same thing? Uh, pretty much the same thing. So it was a different for sure. But all that learning younger too, I was able to process things, you know, you could come back on the bench and, you know, have someone telling you what, you know, screaming or saying something. And again, I was older at that point. So your process is different too. So you're like, okay, good. You take what's good, leave what's bad. And you just focus on it. But again, I had the chance to go back. You know, like you're saying, so if, if I made a mistake, I heard it, but I was back on the ice again. So I wasn't yeah. sitting down. So I was able just to do, to at least I had a chance to really, okay, I'm going to do it now. So different. The approach was completely different. I mean, it's just, uh, Mike was more on a hard, you know, it's hard, tough. You win one game, it's it's unbelievable. You lose one game, it's not good. Like, it's there's no, it's just not okay, you know. So, but he... he did what he did, then uh, and uh, and he had a great coaching career, uh, uh, but it was different. So, but again, I only played for three months with Mike, so I don't know. Maybe if I would play for two years, it would have been different. Too, right, so. right. Yeah, so, fair enough. Yeah. Did you have any? Um, I I I know you played World Junior the the one year there. I believe your draft year. Did you Did you have any other inter- international experience as far as Canada's concerned with an Olympics or a World Cup or? Well, we did we did the in I was eighteen. I went we went to Czechos, Czechoslovakia. That's what we did. We did yeah, and uh, so that experience was a different experience just because we kicked, we got kicked out. Big fight, turn off the lights and all that stuff with Junior. Uh, but it was just uh, a different different experience. That is for sure. So you must have been one of the younger players on that team then, right? I mean, you were a draft-eligible yeah. guy. You hadn't been drafted at that point. You were just up for the draft, almost like a Connor Bedard this year, right? There's only a few right. guys that are draft-eligible in that tournament. So you were one of the younger players there? Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, Shanahan was there, too, I think. And then the other guys were there, uh, Darren Fleury, McCaff, uh, uh, King, uh Anyway, so we had, we had a ton of older guys for sure. Maybe me and Shan- Shani was maybe the younger guys there for sure. Right. Yeah. So what was uh, I did have Chris Joseph on, so I, he was an ex teammate yeah. of mine, and he was on that team as well. Yeah. So he, I played with him in Mannheim, and uh, he said that was one of the scariest things he's ever been involved in. You know, like <laughs> at at the time, he said it was it was absolutely petrifying. Like, what do you what do you remember from that experience? And just for those so, at home, and not that I maybe you can maybe actually you can paint it because I, I mean I wasn't there, but so, uh, walk so, through what happened there. Yeah, I mean the game where we we needed to win against Russia by a couple goals, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, there was it was a fight on the ice, and then there's one guy uh, that jumped to go one of his teammate the teammate the other side that jumped to go help their team so an extra guy went in and then next thing you know is they got to be uh the two bench clear up you know 
And, uh, and I know we talked about this earlier as far as, you know, staying on the bench and some of the guys were, I, I, maybe it was the last one getting on the, on the ice, but I was on the ice, you know? So I don't know this came out from somewhere at one point that I stayed on the bench during the fight. I have no idea. Right. Uh, but I had, a, I went on the ice. I hold on a guy. I didn't fight. I just, and then, and actually this guy just stayed with me and then, uh, and then that was it. Um, so, but, but it was a, the shut off the, they turn off the lights, the light went off, uh, thinking that it's going to get better. Well, it got worse. You know, obviously everyone was just going at it even worse. So, um, so it's just, it, it's just incredible things that happened just that, you know, from, we were going to in a place where we were going to win. And next thing you know, is it turned out to be, uh, it turned it was bad. And then after the game, we just all got out. And then he had guards all the way down to the bus. And we already had packer stuff, but we couldn't go anyplace else. And when the police are on the bus and they kicked us out so fast, it's not even, we just we couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So that was just, that That's was crazy. the, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But the story, I mean, I, still people talk about it, obviously. And, and, uh, and so wow. the experience was just, uh, and, and obviously we were young. We were, I wasn't playing a lot. I was just watching most of, you know, most of the time, but that was, you know, the experience was still fine up to that point. So we're like, wow, this is nuts. Right. It's crazy. Well, so, really pro probably the most infamous moment in world junior hockey history, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Canada, Russia, uh, brawl bench clearing with the lights off like does it get any crazier than that That's yeah nuts. it's funny because in the light i remember we could see a little bit they turn off the light thinking it's gonna stop it got worse yeah it's just people would say okay here we go it just got That's worse crazy. so oh yeah. yeah wow and and so how about that with Olympic years then? You, you must have been somebody that was invited to the camps and like that type of, was it, was that like a, a thing that was like, there was a couple close calls there or, or what, what? Yeah, was, I did. Uh... I went to Toronto uh, once, but you're talking about this one because I went, I got invited maybe a month before and, uh, and obviously we're going there. There's Gretzky, Lemieux, uh, Howard Shark, um, you know, and, and, and uh, name it. That's just, you just, there's no chance, but the experience was unbelievable. I had a great experience. It was fun. That was in Toronto, and and then uh, and then I just that probably that's probably the only one I had. What year was uh, that? Uh, early nineties, and I don't know which one, but I will say early nineties. Is that when when Lemieux scored the? Uh, is it early nineties? It was after that when Gretzky uh, passed to Lemieux. Lemieux scored top shot on. That the, was eighty eight. You know, like, I think wasn't it? Okay. No, Calgary was 88. The Olympics was 88. Maybe that was 80. No, I can't remember. Yeah, what was it, 92? Uh, that was an know. amazing event, though. So hey, that was, it's, it's the best hockey ever, like crazy. Yeah, that was exciting. That was totally fun. That was exciting. But you could see talent there. That was just talent. Yeah. Wow. Well, you were a five-time five -time All-Star. Like, I mean, that's that's super I – mean, that's distinguishing, yeah. obviously, and and what and what an honor to do that. Uh, is do any of those games like? Do you remember any of those games, or was maybe the first one kind of super special because you were you know recognized among your peer group? Yeah, it was in Pittsburgh, obviously. So and then Mario put a show, so it was it was a, yeah. I think he had four goals. I'm gonna see. I don't know. So something like this, but uh, it was fun. I mean, it was my first year um, doing it. It was my second year, I think, playing in the NHL. And uh, and having all these guys around, same thing, you know, you're talking about Gretzky, Lemieux, Marc Messier, just, uh, you know, 
It's the legend. Like it's great. And now you're tw- you're 19. You're coming in. You're looking. This is why. What am I doing here? It's wow! Crazy. I never realized you were. That was your second year pro. What a yes, cool experience. Yeah, I think it was 19 or 20, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So 20, so something like this. So it was incredible. Just being part of it. Just being sitting in the locker room. It was just wow. And how uh, good was Mario? You know, you know. I think Mario was. Um, Obviously, he's a uh, game was on the line. He was dangerous, like it's crazy. Uh, I I think when he came one on one against you, that's a scary part. Like you go, okay, you, I'm gonna go back a little bit more, just because. <laughs> like, yes, because you know he's got that. He's mobile. He's six six. He's got hands. He's good. He goes around goalies. He goes around players. He goes around. He's scary. And he, he did that to Raybor. Because remember that one he passed. Yeah. He, he always he always said it. He says I always wanted to do. If you do this to Raybor, that's crazy. We beat him four times. He beat him four times almost. Yeah, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, top shelf on top of it. Oh my god, are you kidding me? That's crazy. (laughs) So 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 it's it's an ease. Uh you know, when you say Gretzky and you see Lemieux, they're incredible, they're different. Um, you know, Gretzky was able to just bring you to him and just hit the late guy, he just controls, slow down the game. He found this soft spot where you could go. And he got lost in a corner. All of a sudden, came back. We had an empty net. You can even see it. Like all of a sudden, he went behind the net. He loved that behind the net. I love that behind the net too. So, but he was it was a different thing. But uh, Lemieux was just one on one was just scary. Like yeah. when he came on you, it's just a, so different style, but an incredible. Yeah, players. that's why he was my idol. I mean, it's interesting you say that. Well, maybe not. I'm sure we're not the only ones that saw that. But I just thought he was like he was the best on breakaways. I thought ever. I thought he was the best one on one player ever, and. Uh, I just love that about him. Like he could, he could, he could beat guys just by himself, you know, where Gretzky was amazing, of course, too, but he was, he really like, again, drew people and then used other people to get open again. Right. He wasn't necessarily a guy that would attack individuals one-on-one. And I just thought Mario was pretty special at doing that. Um, You said earlier, which I love the line, do you shoot to shoot or do you shoot to score? Um, There's a mindset involved in that. I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Talk more about that, like being able to be a goal scorer. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, you, sometimes you get in that zone. Sometimes you're not, but it's just hard. But one thing I try to, and even now, even before, like you shoot five zero, or you shoot top left side, you're shooting there. You don't. You're not gonna miss it. You're shooting top glove right side. I'm shooting there. I'm gonna score. This one I'm shooting for sure. Uh, and. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to go there, but you might miss it. But after that, again, your process. Oh, missed it. Well, oh, it's gone. Next time, I'm shooting left. I'm shooting left under the bar. I'm going to shoot there. And I'm going to shoot to put it there. I'm going to score. So then, that, or 5 0, that little hole 5 0, or the sticks right under the sticks to the pad. And, you know, I mean, there's a little area. If you shoot there, you, you got to have that just believe that you're going to score. And it doesn't mean that you can score. A lot of times you're not going to score, but the process of your thinking is makes a difference. Hundred percent, it makes a difference. There's no doubt about that. I, I watch uh, I watch guys in in practice, and I can't even honestly remember like my own self. So I now it's more me watching. I, I was a goal scorer, you know, when, when I played and and, and yeah. took pride in it and loved it. You know, I was more of a shooter than a passer. Uh, but I, I remember in, I do remember in practice like loving 
to like beat the goalie. You know what I mean? That was something like that for sure. I mean, you do the drill to do the drill, but then like for yeah. me, like the, the icing on top was like, you got to end with a goal, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. Um, but I see so many guys now that it's almost like they shoot to shoot to your point, like the drill's done, shoot to shoot, go back yeah. in line and start again. Right. Like were you a guy that tried to shoot to score and practice? Oh well? yeah. In practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and coming back to, uh, to the story earlier and i said i'll come back to that story in st louis 27 years old and and uh and i and we we practice at the end we're shooting in the pucks and we're just focusing and brett come brett hall comes to me and i play with brett in the same line for a couple of years you know he's incredible uh and uh and he goes to me he thought he goes you don't know how to do a one-timer i said well i've been here for a while so i should i think i'm okay he goes no I said, okay. I said, I'll show you. So we stayed on the ice and the way he actually, first of all, he said, your sticks is too stiff. You need a whippy of sticks. And he was right. And second, second thing is your hands, the top hand used to got, it's got to be away from your body. You know, I said, okay. And then you don't go back to go forward. If you don't know, you're going to do one timer, one motion forward. It's a lot easier when you think about it. And then your top hand, when you're, it's away from your body, you're able to find like this, you're able to go, just so his range of a one-timer was like two feet why because his body his hands were moving and he always said let the stick do the work so i learned this when i was 27 i came off the edge i go i'm going home i'm driving home i'm thinking okay i'm 27 i'm still learning that's crazy but he's right he was right so i learned something that you know and then you could the way he should shoot the puck he was incredible he was an incredible hockey player and uh, I, I actually, it needed to, I needed to had just to play with him because he was, you know, it's the first couple of months you're like, okay, you know, it's, it's, and then after that, it was just uh, incredible playing with him and he was an incredible hockey player, you know, and, uh, and you learn how to hear what you want to hear with, with, with Brett. Sometimes he could be hard, he could be tough, he could be, you know, he says what he thinks and, uh, but uh, you learn how to, to, uh, to understand how he is, where he's coming from. And a lot of times it comes from a good place. So yeah. and he's, it was fun. So I enjoyed playing. Do you remember, what, do you remember what, uh, what flex he used? I heard that he used a, a, a pretty whippy stick. Do you remember what that 70, was? I think, I think 75, 70 even. Right. I think he, I think he played with 80, 85, 80, I think 80, 80 or 75, I think. But he, he used to change sticks during the power play. So he could stay on the board and just by one tee. Wow. Yeah, so he was he's, now he's, they use uh, like that Connor Bedard. I know I, I work with a guy that plays with Regina, and, and he uses like okay. a sixty-eight kind of flex, right? It's like, and, and he uses a long stick, and you yeah. see that release that he has, right? And um, yeah, like I just don't. I I get it for the I I understand. I think like the the technology wise and, and the benefits on on the wrist shot, but I don't get yeah. it for the for the one timer. To me, I still like. When I use a flexi stick, like it's, it almost feels like it's bending in half, and I have no idea where it's the dying on you. It's you just got to put the right amount of pressure. You when you know what to, so, and you're it was an adjustment for sure. We still we play with wood sticks all our life, right. you know. Yeah. And it was a different flex everywhere. Some sticks were breaking easy. It was just, it was, it was not. This is now you when you know what you're getting and you know exactly it's consistent. It's incredible. I mean, it's a, my kick point was like probably six inches from the bottom. I love that kick point. It, instead of having some people like the middle of the shaft, they have all that angle that comes like this. So I always love little wrister, little, it's just, and then you're right. If you put too much weight on it, it dies on you. It goes in the corner. 
So it's just, yeah, you get a, a right, put the right amount of weights. So even Brett, when he shot the puck with 70 flex or 75 flex, he put, he didn't put, he didn't overkill it. He just hit that puck and he let the stick to the work. That's what he was right. saying. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. When you hit that spot, it's a nice thing. It's a good feeling. It just yeah. takes off. It's like, wow. It's the, great. Um... One of my clients, Cole Dubinsky, he plays in Prince George now for the for the Cougars. Anyways, we had a discussion about stick flex, and he actually said the pretty much the exact same thing you're saying. He's like, "Yeah, we." He was the you have to actually has the right word to, way to say it. And like you, you don't you don't shoot it as hard. He's like, you actually yeah. like you don't try as hard on the one timer because you let right. the, you let the stick re- release the puck, yeah. and um, obviously us with those big heavy Easton's that we were using back in the day in the aluminum, you had to lean <laughs> on those too. things. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny. And, and, and on top of it, you don't need to go high. I mean, the time you t- you're top here to touch that puck, they're all, already here. You look at Ovechkin, he's got that stick already just, you know, he just half as, it's a half a slap shot kind of. He doesn't, yeah. I mean, think of it, we used to touch the ceiling. You know, everything up and just the higher we go, the harder it's going to go. Now you don't need to just half and then let the stick do the work. It's incredible. The difference. It's incredible. One more short break from the conversation with Pierre Turgeon, just to give you guys a thank you. I've read a couple testimonials now from players who are graduates. Of course, I always appreciate testimonials from those of you who are podcast listeners and enjoy the program. So whether you're watching this on YouTube my goodness, write a comment, subscribe, give a thumbs up. Uh, that's fantastic. If you're watching or listening to this, uh, an audio version of it somewhere, uh, chances are it's probably on the iTunes platform, the Apple Music platform, as 80% of you uh, seem to be listening on your Apple device. Uh, please pull the car over, or stop and take a second right now and, and just press pause, press five stars, write your quick review. It really doesn't take any time at all. And uh, let's get those ratings up there. And uh, let me read one of your reviews on my next podcast. I love reading out the new reviews. Uh, when they do arrive, uh, you know how grateful I am when you when you do take the time to do that. And, and it obviously promotes what we're doing here with Up My Hockey. And we're trying to make 2023 the greatest year of the podcast yet. And uh, considering the guests that we've had here in the last uh, in the last few with uh, four-time Stanley Cup champ Dwayne Sutter and first overall pick Pierre Turgeon and 1,300 points and, and the list of players I have lined up, it is going to be a fantastic year. So let's, uh, let's get those reviews out there and let's let people know what we're doing here, what we're talking about, and why Up My Hockey is just a little bit different than all the other podcasts out there. So thanks again for those of you who are here. And now back to the conversation with Pierre Turgeon. You said at 27 there, like that was like this, obviously this point in your career where you remember that, hey, wow, I just learned something. And it was kind of funny too, because you juxtaposed that by saying at the beginning, well, I think I'm okay. I've been here a while and, you know, a few yeah. all-star games under my belt, Brett, you know, like, but no, no, no. Um, there's right. something more to learn. And, and, and curiosity yeah. is something that I, that I have spoken about here on the podcast many times. And I think that a curious player is a better player, like not only looking inward and finding out, you know, what makes you tick, but also like outward asking questions, you know, being willing to receive feedback. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And somebody that comes to mind is, uh, is like Chara, who's now retired, but it sounded like he, and although I never met him personally, was always looking for that next kind of advantage, that next thing whether it be in nutrition or in the gym or exercise yeah. or you know way way to improve himself and and even from a from a player standpoint like I did see when he came into the league as an 18 19 20 year old yeah. and he, he was not the same player that he ended the league with you know like as far as from a skill development standpoint even you know like he he improved his game immensely um 
Is there anyone in, from your time that you could speak to that was like that had that approach? Like it was always tr trying to get better. Like it was intentional about their about their development. Uh, I, I remember Patrick. I mean Patrick Watt when he the go. I mean he just all his equipment was just working on his equipment every day to make this wider, stretchier, or just you know, and and all of a sudden the league started going. Okay, you can't you know. I remember he had a blocks between his pads, and then when he butterfly, the block stops everything. And he had a block on the side of his uh, jersey here, right inside. And then he had a web. His jersey was bigger, so the puck could jam between his like all these things. Uh, as, and then the league came in and said, "Okay, you get the pads got to be that wide. I mean, the restriction of you know blocks and stuff." And then, right. and then uh, you had to. I mean, it was getting just in a place where. So as far as a goalie, so that's what I saw. But yeah. as far as me looking for forward, I don't know. I mean, it, it's uh, there's always. I think there was a transition for. Um, I came in, some guys were getting there to get in shape, you know, and because we had six weeks of training camp. And now, I mean, your preseason games might be after five days, you know, so yeah. it's a different approach. Now you got to be ready. The kids don't have much reps. I mean, it's just sometimes, it, I, I don't know, sometimes they should have more rest as far as in the summer. They can take some time off. Yeah. Um, but they're working on on their skill, the quick feet, the core. I mean, we used to do bench press as every week as we could. I mean, leg. I mean, squats. How many squats can I do? So much leg. You know, it's just, it was extreme, and now it's got nothing to do with this. I mean, it's, yes, it is important, but at the same time, there's a balance of core and quick feet, and yeah. and it's a different approach. And nutrition is a big thing now. I mean, obviously. Even through my career, I changed the way I ate. I eat, you know, eat smaller portion all the time. Just try to control my weights, and and, and it was it was something I work on all the time. But it, at the first part of it, I was like two eight, two oh eight, two ten, two fifteen, and I got to a place where I played one ninety five, one ninety six. It was my best weight, and I didn't realize this. I just didn't know. You know, right. I was uh, I was I was eating too much poutine in the summer. That's that was my problem. <laughs> what do you weigh now? You look like a lean, mean fight machine. Yeah, I'm still playing a lot, so I'm playing a couple times a week. So I I'm back to almost I'm maybe four pounds, five pounds away from my playing weight. That's crazy. Right. You no, know? yeah. but I I I try to eat well. I have fun. I go play on the ice, and then I work out, swim, go for a run. I, I try to I try to keep busy, and it makes me feel better. So it's cool. been part of our life. So I just don't want to stop doing it. I hear you, man. Well, yeah, yeah. it treats you well. The you have two two uh, two kids, and you you talked about the you know a lot of players now, well, especially the professionals, which I completely understand. You mm -hmm. know, like it's mm -hmm. a it's an eleven month thing, maybe eleven and a half month thing. Yeah. Now, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you were playing and growing up, were you an athlete? Like, did you play other sports? And and did you did you describe yourself as an athlete as well as a hockey player? Yeah, we played. You know what? I played baseball when I was young, but we had two months of baseball in in back home. So, but the thing we did in baseball in Rwanda, it was two city before, like it used to be. Now they're combined. Why uh, we want we went to Canada to go to Williamsport. So we went to Williamsport and we played in Williamsport. Uh, me, Stefan Mato, and and just a smaller town that we were able to win many tournaments before we got there. Yeah. And you're 11 years old playing in front of a crowd like 20, 25,000 people. It's just and it's, it's crazy. Yeah, 
in Little League World Series. So we had a chance to go there. We lost against Taiwan. And we finished fourth in the world. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. So we played, I did play baseball. So I played, I was a pitcher, uh, you know, awesome. shortstop. I was always where it was busy. And when I was 11, I was 5'11". All right. So I was, I was, yeah, yeah, I was taller than my coaching staff. I was taller than everyone. It's just, I was the tallest guy in the, on the team. It's crazy yeah. when you think about it. But the experience of it was, uh, so we had two, two months of baseball. I love playing baseball. But hockey was just, there's no doubt, that was just the main one, yeah. Well, as a hockey dad, and why I'm, I'm going to lead you into that, so now you have a son mm -hmm. who's playing pro now and, and um, you know, an accomplished player. I, I can't remember where he was drafted, yeah. but drafted by the Wings. Um, yep. So now you're raising him. So now the shoe's on the other foot, which is exactly what I'm going through right now with you yeah. know a 13 year old and a 12 year old and a 10 year old, and 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 all all want to be NHLers themselves. And uh, how did you balance that as far as maybe uh, the concern about maybe doing too much when it comes to like on ice and just staying on the ice all the time, and also balancing you know the idea of maybe being an athlete and keeping keeping the kid off the ice and having him be exposed to different things. Like what, <laughs> what was your what was your approach when it came to the development of your of your hockey? I know your daughter was a hockey player too, actually. So yeah, we should we shouldn't yeah. forget about about that at all. Yeah. But uh, yeah. so you yeah. had two yeah. hockey players there. So, so I had three, three hockey players. So oh, three? we had, yeah, we had three. So one, we had four, four children and, uh, and we lost one in the car accident when she was, uh, yeah, uh, oh, 10, 10 years ago. So, and, but she played hockey. So when I stopped playing hockey, I coached my daughter, uh, my oldest one, and then she was a twin. The other one played volleyball. So one volleyball and the other one, three hockey. So uh, I was involved in coaching them. I always love driving on positive reinforcement. That's me. I just, I don't like, you know, if I say something, I might say, I need more from you. You just got to come out with that battle and just make, put your shoulder down. Don't come back with your shoulder. Stay down and stay on it. Don't stop. Because all of a sudden it comes out, you're ready to get that puck back. If it's little life that it can, you can get that puck, then it's there. You drop your shoulder, stay on. Anyway, ideas just to reinforce. And then if she did something good or if my kid did something good, they came back on the bench and said, great job. This is what I'm talking about. Do it again. All of a sudden, you feel like you're on top of the world and you want to do it again. To me, positive reinforcement is a big deal. So, so I really focus on that. I coach. Even now, I still talk to the girls or some of the guys that I coach, they still talk, they still call, they're still involved with my son, they're still involved with the kids. So I see them all the time. So, and it was a great, uh, I love that part, you know, to part to make a difference, start beginning of the year up to Christmas, see a difference, the involvement. And from this, from middle of Christmas up to the end of the year, it's all about, because it's not about me, about the kids. So we want them just to have fun, but they improve and they get pushed where it's uncomfortable. So if they have a skate, I'm going to make sure they, it's all conditioning. It's not about pun punishment ever. Let's, let's focus on skating. It's about conditioning. Let's have fun. Let's do, you know, let's do three laps around this. We'll do it three times. Let's do it under 45 seconds, 40 seconds. Make it fun. Yeah. No, they want to make it under 45. And they want to make it under, under 40 because they want to beat it. Like, yeah. then that's fun. They're having fun but they're getting their conditioning. So for me, it's always been, I always been kind of Al Arbor. He was always like that. So I just want to give back what I learned from him too. And, uh, and it, that's why they love, they love having me as a coach because I was just not negative, not hard on them, not more than other ones. It was just yeah. treating them the same. 
And uh, so it's it was fun. I love that experience. I love the experience. Did yeah, you have a hard time with the idea of like, because now at the youth level, and geez, I, I see kids that are, you know, nine years old that legitimately don't take their skates off because there's always something to go to, right? There's a camp yeah, or there's a right. summer team or a <laughs> tournament here or whatever. And and for families that have the means to do it, you know, I mean, some some people do it. And I, you know, I try not to be judge judgy about it. Um, I think everyone has their own philosophies and, and that's totally mm -hmm. fine. But I do think it's interesting of a conversation. What, what, did you did you have... Like, what was your philosophy with your son? Because obviously you probably could have gone to a, whatever tournament you would have wanted to go to, and you probably could have, you know, got him where he needed to be. Did, did you ever have to pull the reins in on him and say, hey, don't go? Or, Well, no, I always say, what do you want to do? First of all, do you want to do it? You got to want to do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. So so I always went with the way they were feeling, obviously. And, and it's always been sometimes they didn't do it as much in the summer. We used to go back in Canada, spend two months. And they had the hockey school a couple of weeks there, but they had more than two weeks off. You know, yeah. they did. They had two weeks off there. They played hockey in the hockey school. They had another two weeks and then they went back again. So uh, maybe a month, a month and a half off sometime. Yeah. And if they want to do a different sport, then just go play tennis or go do play. Uh, yeah. So have fun with it. And then yeah. so it's been it's been uh, I think it's today all depends what age are you at. Like if you're closer to what you're want to achieve, then you, you might more want to put more commitment in it. So, but if you're eight, nine, 10, you gotta have, you gotta have fun too. You gotta enjoy it. If you want to do something else, then you do something else, you know? So I think it's, it's, it's well, they need to feel like they're making that decision. I think, you know, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've had to, my kids are like hockey crazy and and uh and so they're like mad at me like it'll be july or let's even say june right we finished the the season we've done a spring season and now it's like okay we're done it's it's may like you're putting the skates away until august right they're, like yeah. i said i told you their ages are pretty young and it'll be june middle of june or july and they're like mad at me because they can't go skate and um and so I have that. I mean, I, I I wrestle with that, right? Because I have I have been pretty staunch in my thing of like, no, it's good to stay away. Like, one, I think it's good for your body. Two, I think it's good for for yeah. your game mentally. And I and I do think it helps even with that passion that we're talking about. Like the ability yeah. for them not to go on, like fuels them even more when they can go on, and they're more grateful, right? So I don't know. I mean, we're all trying to do the best we can for for our kids. But at at this age, I know that it's going to get serious quick enough. It's not yeah. so serious now that they have to be out there all the time. And I actually think yeah. it helps their development more to keep them back a little bit, to let them to let them grow. To I, let their I, don't, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. And I think, you know what, sometimes you don't realize as a kid, like you do it in the summer, you do August, you do September. But you got to think about when you're going to be in January. Well, how are you going to feel? Are you going to go? Is it too much hockey? Is it going to be because you might be OK in the summer, but long season, is it going to affect you? Or maybe you have that month off or a month and a half off. When you get to January, you still have that fuel in you that, okay, I'm going to keep going. You know what I mean? So this is where you get, you know, every kid's, everyone's different, but yeah. we're trying to do the best to guide them at the yeah. same time. But they got to, it's hard for them to realize it. But yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes you need a break. That breaks puts more, it gives you more power, more yeah, fire. More for sure. Right? 100%. Well, yeah. you've been an amazing guy. I, I'm gonna. I mean, I, I don't know if I should end with this because I think it's an. I think it's such a, a cool distinction, but it's also there's a little bit of a negativity around. It. I'd love to hear your opinion. I just and I just yeah. read this this morning, and that's with the yeah. uh, Hall of Fame scenario. So, yeah. I read the thing that you have the most points in NHL history to not be in the Hall of Fame. 
Mm-hmm. Like what a like what a we interesting, weird, strange kind of honorable title in some ways to have. Um, is that <laughs> like where does that sit with you? Like I, I don't know. It's I mean, you, you distinguished career: thirteen hundred games, thir- over a point a game, five hundred goals. Uh, all these, I mean, a Lady Bing Trophy and five All Stars, and obviously there'd be a lot of people on the fence that are saying you should be in. Uh, obviously, there's some people that think that uh, maybe you're not quite there. Like, where does that sit with yeah. Pierre Turgeon, the, the guy who's now out of hockey, looks back in his career and knows that? I, yeah, well, thanks for asking that question. But at the end of the day, I I, I just, for me, I don't look far. I, I was blessed to do something I love. I always say this. I mean, that's I played hockey and they paid me to do it. That's crazy, you know. So for me, yeah, and I'm grateful for that, you know. So it would be the icing on the cake. It'd be so if it does happen one day. But uh, I'm so grateful for uh, my career that I was able to do something I love, the game, and I still love the game. I think it's the best game ever. But uh, it's just yeah. And then I made a living out of it. You know, it's crazy. And you meet good people through it, you know. And I mean, like I said earlier, we had that conversation. The people you meet through hockey is incredible. It's a small world, and it's a great world to be a part of. And I'm thankful for that. So, so like, if, if, I, if I'm hearing, it would just be almost another level of gratitude to the game that's sort of treated you so well. I mean, like, you're, you're in such yeah. an exclusive club in so many ways, right? A, a first overall pick that not many people can say in, in over a thousand games in the NHL, or I mean, almost 1,200, which is such a small mm-hmm. group, right? 500 goals is such a small group. Like you're, you're in all these little unique, unique clubs. And, and obviously, I guess an invitation into the most exclusive club in the game would, would be the cherry on top. But uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, hey, I'm so grateful for the game, 100%. Right. Well, yeah. you were uh, you were gracious enough to get on with me, Pierre. Uh, we don't we never played with each other, and we don't know each other yeah. super well. But you were nice enough to come on my podcast. I know your words of wisdom here are going to benefit some uh, some of my listeners and and those and the awesome. youth growing up. So I, I really appreciate you spending the time with me here today. And um, I'll let you I'll let you go and uh, and get back to it's probably a pickup game <laughs> you got started up here right away <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> but thanks for having me. Appreciate that. Thank awesome. you. Well, thanks for being my guest for a one hundred and one, and I'm sure we'll keep in touch. And, and thanks for doing this. Hundred percent for sure. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that was ninety minutes, ninety awesome minutes with Pierre Turgeon, and uh, so many great little stories there. I love the Brett Hall story. That is something that I think I'm going to turn into one of those lessons from a pro clips if you're a podcast listener and don't get on youtube much or don't follow me on social uh there is a thing that i do not every episode but if there's something where i find a clip of of one of my guests uh, breaking down whether it be a mindset topic or something uh i will grab it and then i will expand on it uh more in the coach role more in my mental performance coach role and i post that on on youtube and i also use that that link to share in my email groups or on my facebook page or instagram and i call it lessons from pro and uh and yeah like that that uh, story of him learning at 27 years old, how to properly take a one-timer. We're talking a, a five-time NHL All-Star who learned at that point of his career that he was probably shooting the puck the wrong way. Uh, just speaks to the ability to improve, right? It speaks to that ability to always 
get better if if we are curious enough to go there if we are willing to see the clues in front of us or listen to the feedback that is provided there is a lot of things that can go wrong for us not uh like a lot, a lot of things that can get in our way of us not improving one is that continual idea of i'm new I'm new at this. What if I was looking at this for the first time? Like the curiosity factor. Uh, in, in Eastern wisdom, it's like new mind, beginner's mind, right? When you have a beginner's mind, every time you walk into a situation, you are going to pick up something. You are going to be in the moment. Uh, so having that ability to be curious, one, is huge. Two is to listen to feedback, right? To not think that you're above the game, not to think that you've got it all figured out, to, to be willing to hear from others and see if it does apply to your game. Um, there's, and so there's that level of humility, right? Like there's no matter whether you're a, you know, you're a triple A peewee player right now, who's absolutely crushing it, or whether you're a five time NHL all-star like Pierre Turgeon, we should never be in a spot where we feel like we're done, right? We always got to be humble and, and have the humility to say, what's next? How do I get better now? Where's, where's a spot in my game that I can improve? And that is such an interesting mindset that, well, it's not interesting. It's powerful. It's super powerful when that is the way you approach your day. That is the way you approach your craft or your relationships or whatever, your hobby, whatever it is that, that's important to you. And I've tried personally to build that into the foundation of who I am. How do I make this thing, this skill, or even myself as a person better? Where's, where's the 2.0 version of what I'm doing? And when you live kind of life through those eyes with that curiosity, it becomes fun, right? Like life becomes more fun. It becomes more engaging. It becomes more interesting. So, um, well, there I should maybe just record what this. That's kind of what a lesson from a pro is. Well, I will just talk about the topic, uh, maybe break down how, how, I, how I do it with players and how I get them to increase their curiosity and their interest level in their own game and, um, and why that would lead to more success. So anyways, a fantastic conversation there with, uh, with Pierre Turgeon and, and an honor, quite frankly. You know, uh, there's not many players in the NHL that have scored over 1,300 points. Uh, I should actually look that up. There's not many at all. And to have one uh, on the podcast uh, and also one that I don't know. I didn't know until seven days ago. So that's super cool that he was so, you know, like I said, gracious and a gentleman and, and willing to talk some hockey with somebody that he didn't know. Somebody who played one game for the New York Islanders at this New York uh, Islanders alumni event. Um, so definitely not too big for the game, not too big to talk and obviously willing to, to share his, his wisdom and his experience. So, um, grateful for you, Pierre, and, uh, grateful for you who are still listening now. And, uh, yeah, can't wait for what's up next here and, and the up my hockey podcast. So until next time, play hard and keep your head up.